You're listening to episode 56 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogel. Before we jump into today's interview, I wanted to give a quick update. Next week, I'll be attending the 2019 Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis. I know several listeners have already mentioned that they're going to be there, and if you are, I would really appreciate you saying hi. Maybe we'll run into each other. You can send me a message on Twitter or Facebook, but I always love the opportunity to meet listeners and interact. So if you get a chance, please do stop me wherever I am, say hello. I'd love to be able to have the conversation. Joining me on today's show is Glenna Marshall. Glenna is a mom, a musician, as well as an author and blogger. She has two books that are currently coming out, one this summer and one in 2020. And she joins me to talk about that writing and publishing process, as well as what it's like to live the real life of a writer with jobs and church responsibilities and raising a family, young kids. It's a helpful conversation and one that I think will resonate with many of the listeners. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. As always, thanks for listening. Well, joining me on the podcast today is Glenna Marshall. Glenna is a pastor's wife, a mom to two boys, a musician, and a writer. She released her first solo album of music, Hold Me Fast, in 2017. You can find her music on Spotify or iTunes. And her first book, The Promise is His Presence, Why God is Always Enough, releases this summer with PNR Publishing. And she already has a second book in the works, Everyday Faithfulness, that's set to release from Crossway in 2020. Well, Glenna, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. It's really an honor to be here. Well, maybe a good place to start is give us a little context and background for for who you are and, and your ministry as well. And so maybe you could talk about um, where you and your, your husband pastor and uh, and how you got interested in writing. Okay, yeah, sure. So we actually are serving at a local church in a rural uh, part of Southeast Missouri. We moved here from Tennessee almost 14 years ago for my husband to pastor this church, and we have been here ever since. And we love our church. It's um, it's a small church, and we are in a kind of a farming community. So we're doing, I guess, what you would call rural church ministry. We have two kids, two boys. They are 10 and 3. And so, I mean, I really fill my time doing all the mom stuff and all the church stuff and writing as much as I can in between those things. Um, I grew up writing. I was one of those kids that got a diary at a very young age, almost as soon as I learned how to write my name, and wrote in a journal my entire life, and then ended up majoring in creative writing in college, and didn't know what to do with that degree. It was pretty useless. I worked in an office for several years, and kind of just wrote privately for myself until the last few years I went public with my writing through blogging and wow, everything has changed since then. My life is now built around writing in a way I really couldn't have imagined back in college. Well, a couple things I want to explore. Well, first of all, I've I have uh, basically searched the entire state for all the other Christian writers that I can find, and I think you are number two. So we, uh, <laughs> uh, I had a pastor from St. Louis, so we need to get the other corner of the state if I can find a Kansas City author. There's That's some right. there's some up there, so maybe I'll have to put that together. But uh, I want to explore. You, you talk about sort of being interested in writing, but it being quite a while until that moment came when you decided to use your phrase to kind of go public with it. Um, and that's something you talk about on your blog. I was reading through and grabbed one of the quotes and you said, I graduated with a degree in creative writing, but spent the next 12 years blogging in secret because I was afraid to go public with it. Um, maybe you could explore that a little bit and talk about 
what is it that, because I think that's a common thing I hear from people. What is it that, that makes us uh, worry about going public with writing something we might do for 12 years in secret. And then maybe on the other side of that is, is there a positive to it? But how do you know when that moment is the right time to step out and do it more publicly? Yeah, it's a tough question. I, got in on blogging, like right when it kind of got its start in the early 2000s. So right after I got married, I discovered, this will make you laugh. I discovered Zanga. Are you familiar oh, with yeah. that? Oh yeah. I was, I was okay. alive in those days as well. So. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, I was working at a university and some of the students that came through my office were talking about it. So I checked it out and I was like, well, this is great. Um, at the time, my husband and I had just been given a diagnosis of infertility and found out we were probably not going to be able to have children. And so blogging for me um, became a way to work through that diagnosis, trying to reimagine what my future was going to be like. And if you remember with the whole Zanga blogging movement, you could be as private as you wanted to be, but you could also join circles of bloggers who were writing on the same topic. And so you could kind of widen that circle of who was reading your blog, your blog as much as you decided. And so I did that and wrote very privately there for a long time until I think Zanga just went under. So I moved to Blogger and I wrote on infertility for, I mean, close, maybe a decade. And that blog was accessible, but I did not have a lot of qualifiers like who I was. And I think the fear was that I didn't really want to be known as you know, a person with a platform. Or, that wasn't really even a thing back then. I just was writing to process my life. And I wrote on infertility for 10 years, and I really enjoyed it, but I really was writing for myself. And um, at, at about the maybe the end of those years, I went through a probably three or four season or three or four year season of suffering. I was dealing with a disease that I didn't know what it was. I was living with just debilitating chronic pain for several years. And we were also going through an adoption process that was very long and complicated. And for legal purposes, I needed to go off the grid. So I went off of the internet for quite a while. Like all social media was private. I did not post anything public on any writing platform for a while. And at the end of that season, I was dealing with like, okay, I don't know how to process what we just went through with our son's adoption process. I don't know how to process this pain that I've been living with. So I'm just going to start writing about it. Now I can be public with it. Still, I was blogging in secret and I did that for a while. And then one day I wrote a post, I, I was dealing with the physical problems that I'd been having at the time. And what the Lord was teaching me about his faithfulness and suffering. And I hit publish on the blog post and noticed maybe for the first time that there was a Facebook share button on that blog post. And I just, I remember the cursor kind of hovering over that share button and thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. And it was kind of an impulsive decision, but you know, seasons of suffering are often just seasons of deep growth in your faith in the Lord. And I just wanted to share what God was teaching me in suffering and wanted to comfort others with the comfort that I had been comforted with. And so I hit share with much trepidation. And this was back when there weren't all of the algorithms on social media. So you could share something to Facebook and people would actually see it. And that post 
did really well and I had a lot of encouraging feedback. So I thought, okay, well, maybe this is a thing I can do. Instead of writing for myself, maybe I can write for others. And that was a big shift for me. I'd always written for myself. And so once I started writing for others and sharing it regularly, it really did just become a place to, to minister through writing, which was surprising to me. And back in college, when I was studying writing, I could not have imagined that you could write online for people as a ministry. And so um, I, I did it with a lot of fear. And I think it's, I think we get fearful because it's so exposing to put what's in your head and your heart out for people to read. And in some ways you're, inviting criticism into what you have learned and what you're writing about, what you're sharing. And so I think for that reason, I was fearful. And then as I have grown and have written more, the weight of handling the scriptures rightly and encouraging people in a way that's honoring to the Lord, like that is a heavy weight. And I really feel that every time I open my computer (laughs) to write. So I think maybe that is some of the reason we are fearful to share our work. Yeah, there's something about this vulnerability piece that can feel like it's it's the it's the curse and the blessing. You sort of feel like the vulnerability of putting something out there is sometimes you you see you use the word exposing or it makes you feel that vulnerability. But then I know so much of your writing and your work, even when it is done publicly, it comes out of your vulnerability. You are sharing about vulnerable times in your life and with your own health and your own family. Um, how important is that vulnerability, and how do you sort out? How much vulnerability to use in your writing, especially when you're writing on such personal topics? Right. So for me, I feel like if I'm not being vulnerable, I'm probably not being truthful and I'm not telling you the whole story. So I'm going to be pretty vulnerable in my writing. I feel like that is where readers can relate to you. But I can be vulnerable in my stories. I'm not going to be vulnerable in someone else's story, at least not with their permission. So with my children, I'm pretty vague about what I write about them online um, or even in my book manuscript because those are their stories and they need to be able to choose when they're older what to be vulnerable about. So for me, I I feel that I, a reader can tell if you're being vague and a reader can tell if you're not being honest about how you feel. And so I just think sometimes what have you got to lose? I mean, <laughs> what will minister to others is knowing you know how hard maybe a season of life has been for you, but this is how faithful God is. And if, if I can sacrifice some vulnerability to point someone to the Lord's faithfulness, then that's really worth it to me. There's the weird thing that happens in writing where the more specific you are about yourself, the more sort of individualized with that vulnerability, the more universal it actually comes across to the mm-hmm. reader. That It's not that we speak in generalities to, so that more people are interested, but the more transparent we are as an individual, I think the more it resonates with more people. Yes, I find that to be true. Well, let's talk for a second about your music as well, because uh, I know that's a big piece of of writing. So uh, I've always uh, one of my goals has been to have somebody on who writes music as well. And so I've got a couple leads in the future uh, in addition. But that's a big part of what you do in addition to the writing books is the writing and producing of music. When did that come about? And then also, I'm really interested how writing music impacts you as a writer or as an author of books. Yeah, I started writing music in high school, actually. I was one of those kids who took piano lessons for years and years and years and hated it. And so then when my parents finally let me quit when I was about 16, I was so glad, but then sat down at the piano one day and realized that I could play by ear. And so I started, um, because I had been journaling for all of these years and I had loved all my English classes at school, I just decided to sit down and, and try my hand at a song. And it was 
terrible. I mean, everything <laughs> rhymed per- perfectly and it you know had absolutely no substance whatsoever. But that's what started it. And so I wrote songs through high school and college and I mean all through my adult life. It's very different from prose because it's kind of like poetry in that you're trying to pack the most punch in as few words as possible, just in a way that regular prose doesn't allow for. And because in my prose, I tend to be a little long-winded, uh, songwriting is is quite a challenge because I am trying to be a lot more concise than I am in prose writing. And so you have to really focus on showing and not telling because music could be abstract all the time, but I find that it's helpful to put some concrete imagery into songwriting. And um, I, it's a good like catharsis for me. And it's very different from book writing where I am sitting in front of a computer working through uh, stories or theological thoughts and trying to teach a point or communicate something with a song, it feels like more of a creative outlet than, than book writing is. And so I have found it interesting when I first started working on my first book, I had just a flood of creativity and was writing manuscript and then also writing some songs. And then I noticed about four or five months into my manuscript, all of the music kind of dried up. And so um, I have struggled time-wise to, to work out more songwriting while I'm writing two books right now. And it's one of the things I look forward to when I'm out from under book contracts is, is going back to a bit more songwriting. Do you listen to music when you write? Mm, not usually. I'm it's in the very, camp of no as well. So <laughs> It's very distracting. I've even tried like listening to music I've never listened to before because if I listen to music I've heard, I just get so distracted. Um, but even listening to some kind of random instrumental that I'm not familiar with, it's still distracting. So I listen to, I have a playlist on Spotify that's uh, rain, like white noise and rain. And that's what I listen to. Interesting. Yeah. I've heard different, everybody's different on this. I'm one who like, it has got to be just quiet or like, yeah. or normal house noise, like the kids running yeah. around and stuff happening. Yeah. Like I just, it has to just be normal or else I get distracted by it as well. But I've always, I've always loved music. Um, I grew up sort of playing saxophone and into jazz and, and I have found that as I'm working and spending so much time thinking about a project or a book that certain music or certain songs will sort of, uh, uh, will, will, sort of orbit around that project where there's certain music that'll sort of become like thematic or important to the work that I'm doing. And it sort of ends up in my mind, even if I'm not listening to it. Yeah, that actually, that I would say that's the one exception for me, not listening to music while I write. When I was working on my first book, I was writing through a lot of Old Testament material and telling story of the Old Testament. And I listened to a lot of music by Andrew Peterson, specifically his album Love and Thunder, because he has some songs about um, Abraham and Sarah. And those songs really helped me to think through the people of the Old Testament stories to kind of dig into their personalities and think about them, not just as characters in a story, but actual people who lived and had dreams and hopes and fears. And so that's my one exception. When I read through that material in my book, I think of Andrew Peterson's songs. Yeah. I'll, I'll find sometimes too, even like secular music where it's like, you know, this, this artist is really trying to describe the question or the thing that I'm trying to present the gospel to. And so it kind of becomes a way of helping me, me see it or recognize it or put words to that thing I'm trying to write about. Oh yeah. That's interesting. 
So you're kind of answering a question. Yeah. So, well, like, um, so in my first book on Samson, I worked on a lot of what I was wrestling through was identity and where does identity come from? And is it something you create or find in yourself or is it something you receive? And uh, John Mayer has this song in the blood that's all, it's just like a series of (laughs) questions and it's like the same, well, he's like the same age as me. So we're like the same life stage. So it's the stuff I'm writing to. And it's all this, like, where, where do I get this identity from? Is it something from my parents? You know, that's the idea. Is it in the blood? And there was something about that song that really helped me sort of like pull together like yeah that's the stuff i'm trying to answer oh that's interesting that's a great song <laughs> yeah exactly too so it helps when the music's good not just yeah, the lyrics does. so yeah <laughs> well let's do this uh first of all congratulations on uh, the two books that are coming out so uh the promise uh, is his presence releases later this summer i believe is that correct <clears throat> that's right it comes out august 1st great well congratulations and another one in the works for 2020 so maybe you could give us a little backstory on from the blogging and the music writing how two publishing deals came about yeah, I, every time I explain this, I almost feel like I'm cheating a little bit because I feel like my path to publishing was really fast and a little bit unusual. So I had been blogging publicly for about a year when the seeds for my book idea kind of came together for a book on the theme of God's presence. And I started writing a book proposal and was planning to attend a writer's conference and maybe a couple of months before the conference. And I was hoping to get to pitch that proposal to an editor at this conference. And a couple months before the conference, an acquisitions editor at PNR uh, reached out to me and just asked, hey, been looking at your blog. A friend gave me your name. Do you have any ideas for a book that you'd like to talk through? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do have a proposal, so I'll send it to you. And I had just finished up a couple of sample chapters. I really didn't know what I was doing. My proposal was kind of a mess, but she was really gracious and looked it over and really liked the idea. And so we went through kind of the first initial steps with the pub board and the subcommittee meetings. There's a, you know, a couple different ways that they that the proposal has to get through um, committees. And so while I was waiting that out. I had another friend put me in connection with an editor at Crossway and I sent my proposal to him and just the nature of the book was a style that they, that Crossway doesn't publish. And so he said, you know, we can't do this, but I'd love to stay updated on your writing and maybe think about your next book. So, and he was very kind. I I was offered a contract with PNR and so I signed it and began working on my book, but this other editor uh, just would pop in every few months and send me an email and ask me how it was going. So by the time I finished my manuscript on my first book, I was already thinking through a second book idea and ended up meeting him, this other editor at Crossway at a conference. And he was so kind just to continually reach out to me and took my proposal and helped me formulate it and work through it and make it better. And so last fall, as I was working through my first round of revisions on my first book, I signed another contract. And so my books will actually be less than a year apart. I think it'll probably be closer to 10 months apart. And I I feel a little guilty, but it's to complain. It's been hard to juggle two books, but it is just a huge honor to have two publishers behind me that want to put my words out for others to read. Um, so I am really grateful for the opportunity. It is very challenging to work on two books at once. I don't know that I recommend it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, I mean, just from my experience, how slow the process can be to have two that close together is, uh, is a lot to keep track of and a lot to sort out. It is. Uh, are there things that have surprised you about the publishing process going from just blogging personally to then working with editors and, and a review board and the whole process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think every, for both 
book proposals, every time it would pass to the next level of meetings, I would be surprised because I felt like, I mean, kind of a nobody, I don't have this big, huge platform. And so having publishers who were not concerned about that, just from everything I'd heard about the writing world, I was surprised by that, that they would take a risk with publishing something from me. Um, And then just, I think the other thing that has surprised me the most through the publishing process, and it's really been a learning process for me, is working with editors. Because when you write for yourself for so long, you don't really have anyone coming in to tell you how to make it better, or maybe you could have thought about it from this angle. And so working with editors has been a challenge for me just because writing has been such a solitary activity. But it has made me a better writer. It has made me think of like to try to think outside my little box of writing and to think about the reader and the different kinds of readers and the kind of backgrounds that they may be coming to when they pick up my book. And so I find that the editing process is a little soul crushing when you open up a document and it's just covered in red ink and you've spent months working on it. That's a little hard to swallow. So I think every time I've gotten a round of revisions, I read through them and then I just shut my computer and walk away. Um, And then I come back to it a little bit later, but it really, it has improved my style, but it has been a challenge for me to wrap my head around, um, okay, they are helping me make it better. And so we're working together to make it better. This does not mean you're a terrible writer. It just means you need some help. So it's been a bit humbling, the editing process. Yeah. Well, beyond that, you've got the two books going. You've got the church that you're a part of. I know you do some speaking and personal blogging. Um, one of the things that I was really interested in exploring with you that we've not covered on the podcast before is doing all of this with a young family with kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned you have a 10 year old and a three year old. I've got a mm-hmm. four year old son that's about to be five and a two year old daughter. And so, um, I know well what it is to be deep in thought and writing and have, uh, sort of the BBC moment when my daughter comes in, in the door behind me. And, uh, it's happened once in a podcast, but so far it didn't distract, but that's just a part of my life. In fact, I've mentioned, uh, on the podcast before that, uh, my home office, we have a three bedroom, two bath. And so my home office where I work and do freelance work is also my daughter's nursery. So right beside oh, my desktop great. with my mic is my daughter's dollhouse, which is not nearly as glamorous as the writing life can sometimes sound, right? But I think that's for so many of us, it's the reality. I'm not first a writer. I'm first a dad. And for me, a pastor and the writing thing often, I try to find ways to fit in. Um, maybe you could explore a little bit. What is, what does that look like for you being a mom trying to, you know, keep the priorities straight, but also having two book deadlines, not just one and, uh, and some of these goals, things you're trying to accomplish, but, but fitting them rightly into your life. Yeah, I feel like this is a question I ask other writers all of the time because I always wonder, am I missing something? Because I feel like I'm juggling things all of the time and not doing it well. Um, I do have young kids. And my first book, I wrote during nap time. I wrote the whole thing during my my youngest son's naps. And I think most of that time he was only on one nap a day. <laughs> so I would put him down for a nap and I would have everything ready before I would put him down. And then I'd go straight to my dining room table, which is where I have done all of my writing. And I would just sit and write as much as possible until he woke up. And so the thing, probably the most helpful advice I was given by another writer was to schedule your writing like it's your job, even if it's not your job, and make it kind of a non-negotiable. So if you've got a regular 
block of time. So for me, it was my son's nap time. Then you're not going to do anything else during that time, but write because you can do laundry while your kids are awake. You can wash dishes while your kids are awake. You can do those sorts of things, but you can't really write while your kids are pulling on you for all of the needs that they have. And so I did that. I took it really seriously and I scheduled that nap time as writing time only. I didn't answer calls or do email or check anything online unless I was really distracted. And so I just treated it like, okay, I'm not going to schedule like doctor's appointments or coffee dates or anything during this time. And I really think that was the key to getting my first book done on time, which is making that non-negotiable. This is my job. Just like if I were in an office and I had to clock in or something, like I'm clocking in every afternoon at one o'clock. And so um, the other thing that was helpful is that my husband has been very committed from the beginning of all of this to help me have all the time that I need to write. And so as a pastor, he has his, like Mondays are his day off. And so he has been very generous on Mondays just to say, you know, I've got the kids, you just go write and just take as much time as you need. And I don't think I could have done all that I've had to do without that support from him. So I think that if you're you know, someone who's working with kids at home, you if you have a spouse, you're going to have to have their commitment to a writing plan almost as much as your commitment to a writing plan. And uh, my husband's good at what I call ledge counseling. So every time I get totally just overwhelmed by two book deadlines, he comes in and is very good to talk me down and just remind me, God has given you good work to do. He will equip you to do it. And so, yeah, those are probably the two most helpful things. Yeah. And that can feel really, especially if you don't have a contract. I mean, I'm still in the stage where I have a proposal out that with through an agent, but uh, a lot of that writing, I wrote a whole, instead of just the proposal, I had to sort of prove to myself I could accomplish this thing. <laughs> so I wrote the whole manuscript ahead of time. And a big part of that's trying to balance, okay, I'm asking for my spouse's support. I'm sort of trying to fit this into my life with no real confidence that this is actually going to go anywhere anything's going to come of it which can be a real a real struggle to like believe in the thing um and for me a lot of it was i do freelance work so i have a little bit of flexibility with my schedule although it's not nearly as much as you would think because you end up with lots of bosses and lots Mm. of projects Mm -hmm. but i would try to work really really hard for three or four weeks and buy myself a week that i could maybe spend four days of it really focused on the writing and Mm -hmm. so it is it's this big sort of puzzle of trying to figure out how do you fit it in? I've never been a fan of the staying up till 2 a.m. Um, that's just <laughs> no. not worked well in my routines of life. <laughs> lunch either. hours have often proved helpful for me. You know, I can carve out an hour for lunch. But uh, I do think, I think everybody has to sort of find their own way into it. And for some people, it's a daily routine. For some people, it's a seasonal type approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, I'm curious too, with some of the, as you've alluded to already and you write about on the blog, you've also dealt with some, some sickness issues, some health concerns. Did any of that come up through the writing process? Um, you know, I, I'm doing a, like once I got to my publishing process, most of my physical problems had been addressed and am very thankful to be well most of the time. I I have had some times where it's been difficult, just even um, one of the diseases I have affects my joints. And so I probably around the holidays, I was doing a lot of writing and having just terrible pain in my arms and hands. And that was, it was hard to press through that. And then I had a day recently where um, I was in a lot of pain and could not stand or sit, but I had a major deadline. So I wrote from bed. (laughs) So you, you just have to do what you can. I mean, I think that if I had a 
you know, a real serious flare up that set me back. I, I think my editors would be kind and understanding in that giving me maybe a couple extra days on something. But for the most part, I was sort of past the worst of my pain when I started writing for other people and writing with a deadline. But I will say that the the topic of pain and suffering is definitely one that's given me a lot of material just because people identify with it so much. So if I'm struggling with pain while I'm writing, I usually share it just because people get that. They understand it. Well, part of what I think we're doing here is is helpfully painting a picture that sometimes there's this glamorous idea of being a writer where you've got this special writing space and there's like a fresh pot of coffee and it's like hours without interruptions. But I like these pictures better that you and I are presenting because I think they're more real to what that process Mm -hmm. looks like, especially maybe where we are life-wise. I mean, for me, Mm -hmm. it's my daughter's nursery slash office with trying to get a few hours without emails coming in (laughs) on projects that are in an emergency status. And for you, it's grabbing the kitchen table during kid's Mm -hmm. nap. Um, but maybe a good way to ask that question is when you thought about someday being a writer is, is the way that it's (laughs) looking right now, the right way. And then maybe the other way of asking that question is, um, are you still enjoying it? I mean, does it have to be that ideal thing for the writing to be good and to be what you want it to be? Yeah. I think that I had a picture in my head that I'd have an office and a desk and like this, you know, some beautiful setting outside the window. And that has just not been my experience. I've written most of my books at my dining room table and there's toys everywhere and the sinks full of dishes. You know, it's, (laughs) it's not very picturesque, but you know, this, I've learned that the setting doesn't matter so much. I mean, the discipline of writing is really what helps me sit at the table and do it. Um, If I were to wait for inspiration or wait for a perfect setting, I would never write. So writing almost every day in the same spot, even if there's dishes in, you know, my um, my eyesight or if there's a stack of toys in the floor that needs to be cleaned up. You know, if I'm just sitting every day and practicing the discipline of writing, I can kind of look beyond those things. And it is still enjoyable. Um, My deadlines are pretty um, looming right now over me. And so I told my husband the other day, I look forward to maybe going back to just blocking for a little while sometime next year when I'm done with both books. Um, But it is a privilege to sit and work on long form writing that you know will be in the hands of people you'll probably never meet. So there is still a lot of joy in that. Yeah, I think that's a a good picture of it. There's so much distraction that can come by having the right app to write in and having the right chair to sit in and the right, you know, window, as you're saying, with the right view. And it -hmm. always comes back down to one word at a time on whatever page or screen that you've got in front of you. That's Um, right. A part of that for me that's been helpful is the accountability of relationships. You know, you're in a small town, Missouri. I'm in Springfield, Missouri. Not a, not a, neither one of them known for sort of their literary culture. (laughs) uh, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I actually, when I first started the podcast, Podcast. One of the reasons I did this is because I literally did not know Christian writers, editors, anyone. Oh, wow. uh, and so for me, a big part of that was trying to find those relationships or community. I'm curious, living in a small rural town, pastoring there, mm-hmm. um, have you managed to find writing community? And if so, has that been primarily online? And how has that developed? Yeah, it's definitely not an in-person thing. I don't know other writers. I mean, I have had coffee with another friend or an acquaintance who was doing some blogging, but nothing like a writing community. I have found most of my writing friendships 
online. I joined a writer's networking group called Hope Writers when I first started blogging publicly and made some friendships and people I've since met up with at conferences. And I really think the gift of a writer's conference is networking with people and meeting people who are doing exactly what you're doing. And so I have a pretty good group of writing friends and we keep in touch using the Voxer app. I don't know if you use that, but I find that to be a great way to keep up with your writing friends, talk about projects and really keep the conversation circling around writing all of the time. And it does build in some accountability and having those friends also being Christians is helpful because then I can send a Voxer message and say, I am really struggling with my work today. I have major writer's block. Can you pray for me? And knowing that they will do that and they understand it. And so, yeah, primarily all of my writing relationships have been, well, they were made online, but some of them are now in person that we just meet up when we travel to big conferences. Yeah, that's been the same for me too. It really is amazing the opportunity to get to know people and to find people that are sort of working through or trying to, to achieve some of the same things you are. And so much of that can happen online. Hey, there's so much about online that sometimes drives me nuts, but then at times <laughs> there's parts of it that really are an incredible gift. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, maybe a good way for us to wrap up is this. Um, if you think, I know there are listeners very much in the place you were where they've got years they've been putting into blogging, thinking about writing. Um, but, you know, as we sort of started at the beginning, they're in this place of vulnerability where it's just hard to hit that publish button. They're not sure if it's the right time. Maybe you could give some advice or some encouragement to writers as they're trying to feel out what is that next step or that way forward through it. Yeah, I think you probably need to think about your motive. So is this an online journal? Are you just writing to express yourself? Are you trying to communicate truth? Are you trying to serve a reader? And I think if you're trying to serve a reader, then you should just put it out there. I mean, maybe have some people that you trust read your writing first to make sure that, you know, what you're saying is true and good and helpful and that it's good quality and maybe do that for a while before you go public with it. But if you are seeking to um, point others to the Lord with your writing to make much of Christ, then I just don't know what you have to lose, even if it's scary and it's vulnerable. I mean, really any type of ministry that we do, whether it's church ministry, whether you're preaching, pastoring, teaching a Sunday school class, leading a Bible study, I mean, it's all risky. And so, I mean, in all of it, you are putting what you have learned from the from the word before other people. And that's a risky kind of scary thing to do. But if you know the Lord has called us to go and make disciples, and I think writing is one way that we can point others to Christ. So just count the cost and, and, and try it. You know, especially if you're blogging, you don't have to commit to it forever and, you know, really think, okay, what do I have to lose by doing this? And then the other thing I would say is, really the thing that's helped me the most is just to be consistent with writing. And I think I said this a few minutes ago, writing every day helps me write every day, if that makes sense. Uh, the practice of you know, putting words on paper every day just makes it easier, makes it come more naturally. And if I go a week or two without writing anything, it's always a little hard to get started again. Well, let's do this. Could you give us, uh, well, first of all, a plug for the book coming out this summer, The Promise is His Presence, and then also the best way that people can follow those books uh, and keep up with maybe not just your writing, but also your music. Oh, yeah. So, well, I blog pretty 
regularly just at glennamarshall.com. And then I'm on all of the social media and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You can usually just find me by searching for my name. Um, and then, so my first book does come out August 1st and this book is, it's a, it traces the theme of God's presence from Genesis to Revelation, which I think is why it took me so long to write it. And so I'm telling the whole story of scripture, focusing on God's gift of his presence to his people. And so you say, see that come out in several different ways throughout the Old Testament with the way that God spoke, you know, face-to-face with Adam and Eve in the garden, how that was broken, that relationship was broken with the fall, and then move through the patriarchs and see God making promises to Abraham, and how he, when he brought the people out of slavery in Egypt, one of the main promises he kept giving them was, I will be with, you will be with my people, and I will be with you. I will dwell among you. And so you see him keep those promises um, throughout the history of Israel and the institution of the tabernacle and then the temple. And then you see everything change with the incarnation of Jesus and then with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the way that we as the body of Christ minister to one another with the Holy Spirit living in us and then kind of pointing us forward to Revelation where the gift of heaven is God himself and standing unhindered in his presence forever. And so I wanted to to tell the story of scripture kind of, you know, in a very layman's way, just an easy to read telling. But I also wanted to share the way that the Lord communicated that to me as I studied his word through those long years of suffering. And so I'm basically telling two stories with this book. And I go back and forth between the biblical narrative and the personal narrative, which is kind of a weird structure for a book. But I think it will um, help you stay on the biblical story because sometimes we skip things that we think we know. And so I thought, if I can tell you two stories at once, then I can really highlight the theme of God's presence in Scripture without losing you as a reader. And so um, just the personal story just shares all of the ways that God's presence has been a gift to me in suffering. So I'm really excited. I just finished my very, very last, last, last revisions, I hope. And so I think it moves on to copy editing stage next and then be available this summer. I'm really excited about it. Um, But I'll have like all of those you know, the book will have its page on my website. And then I also have a page on my website just devoted to music. And so you can find links to um, my Bandcamp page and you can stream it for free on Spotify too. Well, congratulations again. And uh, thanks for being uh, a listener, but also a guest on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. It's just been really a treat to be here. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 56. There you'll find links to Glenna's blog as well as her music. If you haven't already, I would really appreciate you taking the time to subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribing is the best way to hear about new episodes. And while you're there, feel free to leave a rating of the podcast or even a written review. It's the best way for me to get feedback on the show. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.